As an educator, you want what's best for your students. You want them to succeed academically and emotionally. But how do you do it? We actually hit it. Simply ask the question, what is it that we want for our learners? You know, the amount of time they physically sit in a seat doesn't determine whether or not they've learned something. We just kind of took genius hour and put it on steroids. 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 From creative instructional practices to school models and ideas big and small, Reimagining Time is a podcast that will tell the stories of real educators like you and how they've used their imagination to transform their schools and enrich students' lives. You know, we obviously couldn't go back and correct what had been you know, what had been done with the 35% failure rate. So we just need looking forward. We wanted to prevent that from happening again. How can a school reverse a high failure rate and ensure that they're not leaving any students behind? Laura Touchstone, a high school principal from Florida, helped her school to do this in less than a year. How did their school make rapid changes? It took some creativity and really figuring out what was essential for students. It can be hard for any school to change what they've always done. And this story starts during Laura's first year as a principal at the school. She took on this challenge because she could see that, as things were, student needs were not being met. Um, I knew what we were doing was not working. Um, Just by looking at the the data, um, the historical data, the current data, So I went to the faculty and they agreed, yes, that what we're doing is not working. So then I kind of set sail to, um, you know, find some research to support what um, what our students needed. Data can tell a story and speaking to teachers confirmed that students weren't getting what they needed. Laura embarked on a journey to change that. What did research lead her and her staff to? So at that point, um, we decided that we needed to have something during the school day. When I was meeting with my teachers, um, they all said, oh, we offer intervention before school or after school. Well, then I started looking at the amount of students who drove to school every day versus being dropped off or riding the bus. And out of um, 1,640 students, I had 80 students who drove to school every day. So we were really missing the mark. So that's when we decided um, that we had some things to change. Offering before or after school help seems like a good solution. It's not interfering with class time. There aren't conflicts between student and teacher lunches and class periods. But being able to participate in these help sessions means that kids either need to be able to drive themselves to school to be there early or stay late, or ensure that their parents or guardians can get them there. For many students, this simply isn't possible. Parents have to be at work, the bus won't stay late enough or get there early enough, and even if a student is driving themselves, extracurricular activities often make it impossible. Relying on before or after school sessions for intervention will leave some, if not most, of kids out of the picture. So that is when we decided that we had to carve out a flex time during the day to provide intervention and enrichment for our students. Flexible time during the school day has helped many educators be able to provide students with what they need. Flex time is often called a flex period or flex block, and schools typically give it a specific name that is unique to their school's identity. At Laura's school, they call it SOAR, or Student Opportunities for Academic Reinforcement, 
and it's a 30-minute period that occurs every day. When a flex period occurs daily, it really enhances the opportunities teachers can give for intervention and enrichment. But how did Laura's school create the time during the school day for this flex period in an already full daily schedule? We went from seven 50-minute periods and four lunches to a block schedule. Uh, we're on an A day and a B day rotation. And um, really the, the, the block schedule, uh, when we shifted to block schedule, it really didn't give me um, any more time. So I had to look at other options. We started looking at other avenues. And like I said, I had four lunches. So I looked at what would it take for me to decrease the amount of lunches. So I immediately, you know, started talking with the superintendent, the different level directors, um, food services, and I kind of put together a plan where I would reduce our lunches from four lunch periods to two. Some schools create a flex period by shaving a few minutes off of other class periods. But each state has its own seat requirements, and for Laura, this wasn't an option. How did she rework the school's lunches to make time for a flex period? How could they possibly move over 1,600 students through two lunches? And a lot of people will say, oh, we can't do that. But you just have to be, be creative. You have to decide what's more important. Are lunches more important? And is that going to drive your school schedule and how you provide um, instruction and intervention to your students? Or are you going to put... Um, student learning first. You know, I had to transform areas around the school into um, picnic areas. Um, I had to, you know, work with student, I mean, with cafeteria services and food services to bring in um, more lunch lines, to have more a la carte lines, but I could not do that. They could not provide more staff. So where I really got creative was I have a culinary academy on my campus. So we started using our upper level culinary students to help with lunches. They couldn't hire more staff, so they used the resources that they had available. Your own school's resources and circumstances may differ, but thinking creatively about how you can use what you do have can enable you to make changes that maybe you didn't think were possible. Now that they had the time available for their 30-minute SOAR period, how did they plan how students would receive interventions and enrichment? Our teachers are broken into professional learning communities based on the subject that they teach. So, for instance, all of my Algebra two teachers are in a professional learning community together. So they are writing lesson plans collaboratively. Um, they have to meet at least 90 minutes a week. So they're planning lessons together. They're writing common formative assessments. They're um, issuing those assessments, and they're looking at the real-time data. Professional learning communities, or PLCs, refer to a process that educators use to define what they want students to know and plan how to help meet and respond to student needs. Common formative assessments that Laura mentioned help teachers agree upon and assess where a student is at in their learning. When teams of teachers engage in this collaborative process, then teachers within departments are on the same page with what students are being taught. It can also help teachers across departments ensure that no students are being left behind because they're looking at that real-time data. 
This process has a direct influence on how students are scheduled for SOAR. So what they do is they bring their data back from those common formative assessments to see where their students are struggling, and that's how we schedule our intervention time. So, you know, the teachers are all the time looking at that real-time data to determine where their students are struggling immediately. Instead of waiting till the end of the nine weeks and they're like, oh, you failed, you know, we are catching them immediately. Timely interventions matter, and to provide them, you need to be equipped with the information to know what students need. PLCs and the use of data from within this process helps teachers catch students before they fail. When assessments are done at the end of a quarter or a semester, it's often too late. Now a student is labeled as struggling because they might have a failing grade. But if the way they respond to what they're learning shows that they're struggling with specific concepts that teachers have identified, that help can be provided during their flex period right away. Flex periods on their own can be beneficial, but when they work together alongside a PLC, that is when students can really get the most from them. As noted at the beginning, when Laura first became principal, the school had a 35% failure rate, and it was obvious that the way they were doing things was not working. So now that they've incorporated these SOAR sessions, have things changed for students? Our failure rate was very alarming to me. Um, We had about a 35% failure rate when I came on board. So at the end of the first semester, I ran the same reports that um, that I had the previous year. So at the end of the first semester, our failure rate had gone from um, 35% to 10%. And when running those same numbers at the end of the school year, um, for second semester, we had a 9% failure rate. That dramatic turnaround happened because instead of taking the easy route and sticking with how things had always been done, they took a risk with how they used time and planned how to effectively meet student needs. They created a schedule that allowed them to be flexible and made sure that no student was getting left behind. You you have to adapt based on the needs of your students. So I feel like, you know, in this environment and in, in, in so many schools that had come to visit us, us. They had just been doing the same thing for so long and, you know, waiting for students to fail and then assigning them to night school or to community school or to summer school. And then, you know, the cycle just continues to repeat. And then we see so many kids their senior year who can't graduate because they haven't fulfilled um, either the grade point average requirement or the, the um the course requirements. In a constantly adapting world, schools have to adapt if they're going to support students and meet their needs. Now at Laura's school, they have other schools coming to visit to see how their schedule works, how they were able to make these changes, how they were able to break that cycle that fails so many kids. What do students and parents think of this new schedule? We did a um, really a satisfaction survey at the end of the school year for parents parents and students, and we did not receive one negative comment from students or parents regarding our SOAR time. You know, students were saying, you know, I have the opportunity to stay caught up. I have the opportunity to retake a test. Um, you know, it just depends on how you how you decide to use the flex period. Um, it's really kind of um, 
you know, shifting the culture and the mindset of your student body and your teachers um, based on what you want your outcomes to be. It's not easy to shift the way things have always been done, and it's certainly not easy to shift someone else's mindset. But from the beginning, teachers too knew that there needed to be a change, and Laura helps them to see the big picture. Students saw that this was a change that could really benefit them. Now, Laura is looking ahead. You know, we obviously couldn't go back and correct what had been, you know, what had been done with the 35% failure rate. So we just knew looking forward, we wanted to prevent that from happening again. So, you know, of course, we, we did continue like our credit recovery summer school and, and night school classes for those students to catch up. But our hope is in, the, in three years or in two years, we won't need to have that because we'll be providing students with what they need during the school day. Just think of the positive impact it could have on students to get everything they needed during the school day, none of them slipping through the cracks. A tall order, but it's all part of the vision. Well, our vision is really to ensure um, high levels of learning for all students. And so this kind of gives us an avenue to do that. And we're not kind of leaving anyone behind. So, I mean, obviously we want to continue to decrease our uh, failure rate and we want to increase our achievement, you know, the the same goals. But this just gives us an avenue to... um, really provide for our students exactly what they need. That's it for this week's episode of Reimagining Time. This podcast is brought to you by Enriching Students, a tool that helps teachers give students what they really need, time. Our intro track, Rough Cut, is by the artist Tripwire. And we want to say thank you to all of the educators who shared their ideas and stories with us. Look for new episodes of Reimagining Time on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.